everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk to you about things that you either should have learned in school and didn't, learned incorrectly, or learned, but only part of. And that one is mine today. Ooh, I'm also talking about something we only learned part of in school, mostly from a video game that we all loved. You learned about video games in school? Yeah, we got there was a video game we played in school. It was Oregon Trail. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, this week has been weird. It was one of those weeks that went really, really fast, except every day went really, really slow. I have no idea what we're talking about. This week dragged on for forever. It's like, I feel like we just recorded. I was so not ready for this. Dude, uh, this entire week, it's last week felt like an age. Ugh. Um, but we did catch all three of our four cats snuggling today. I was so excited. They are not, they love to snuggle with people. But they do not enjoy snuggling with each other, or so they claim. They were in a pile. Yeah, like we have these pictures from when our kitten was really little. She's a foster fail. And when she was one pound, she made a daring escape from the kitten room and ran smack into our 18-pound boy. (laughs) Who, it was like that awful moment because it's super creepy in Twilight where, you know, the one dude and the baby see each other and there's this immediate connection because they're going to bang later on. And, you know, that's oh, a normal God. thing for adults and babies to think. Except this was very much, they imprinted on each other immediately. Except he was also terrified of her. It was immediate imprinting. Oh, it was immediate. He, ran, he saw her. And he backed the hell up and like ran out of there and was like just kind of looking at her from across the room. And she just followed him. And then she was like, we're going to fight and I'm going to win. And so he would sit there and like gently fight with her. We have all these photos of them snuggling when she was an itty bitty baby. Well, he's lost a couple of pounds. He's down to 15 pounds, which is good. She is now probably close to 15 pounds. Yeah. And a giant. She is just, she is all just these gangly legs. Yeah, we didn't think she was going to get very big, actually, even though her siblings are all pretty big because she was the runt, that the surviving runt. Three of the siblings died from failure to thrive. And we thought she was heading that direction, too, which is why we adopted her. And so she was one pound when her siblings were three. And she just was all ears and eyes and personality. And she's she's still all ears and eyes and personality. But She looked like a goblin. Yeah, Austin was like, she's going to be so ugly. And I said, just you wait, just you wait. She's, she's an absolute shithead, but she is a gorgeous shithead. Yeah, all four of our cats are just really cool looking. Like even our three-legged cat, he has this thing where he can't quite control one of his ears and it droops down. It is so cute. He's the one who likes to interrupt us the most with his loud purr. Yeah. Although he, I think he's figured out that even though there's a curtain here, we're still here. He doesn't get scared as much. No, he still gets scared. Just Speaking of, who do I hear? Sounds Draco? like Draco. Yeah, we have lots of cats. We do. It's a problem. It's one of those things that we like unnecessarily worry about. It's like, what if we ever have to move? What are we going to do with them? There's no reason to think we'll ever have to move. Yep. And if we do, we'll just lie about how many cats we have. Yeah, because we can't separate them, obviously. Oh, no. All right, we've been talking about our cats for a while. Anything else happened this week other than the world continuing to explode? Yeah, but it's exploding slower now, which I guess is an improvement. Or it could be like that calm before the storm situation. Are we in the eye of the hurricane where there's quiet? For just a moment. A yellow sky? (laughs) We haven't made a Lynn reference in a while, I don't think. I know, it's been at least an episode. We haven't made a Ross Geller reference in a while either. God damn it, Ross. And I feel like I need need to... They heard us talking about them, now they're fighting. Yeah, they, they gotta show off. It's like, I feel like I should do something on paleontology just so I can legitimately make fun of Ross Geller for an entire episode. Archaeology is part of mine today. I don't get into that part of it, but I'm talking about an animal today. When we started this podcast, we were talking like exclusively about history. And then we started to realize we didn't learn about a lot of other topics fully in school. So we kind of branched out like Austin's talked about science a few times. And then the other day, I learned something really weird about the platypus. And I figured I need to talk about this platypus. Okay, so tell me more about this platypus. What did you learn? Well, okay, I'm citing my sources. I've forgotten the last couple of weeks. <gasps> Shame. For what it's worth. I mean, you know what this means. The platypus exists in Atlas Obscura. It is weird enough for them to cover it. <laughs> also, National Geographic, Wikipedia, of course, the University of New South Wales, the Australian Platypus Conservancy, 
and a journal called Protein Spotlight, which is literally a journal where scientists write about proteins. Well, anyway, we talked about Australia a few weeks ago and how we only really learned about the animals, right? Like right. how cute and yeah. sweet and adorable they are. And then I talked about spiders at length because spiders are the devil. But we learned about them in the cutest way possible. In reality, as we know, they are fucking terrifying. Yes. Like dingoes are dogs that will, in fact, eat your babies. Mm-hmm. And they had to fight a literal war with birds. And I don't mean like birds on their side, like messenger pigeons. I mean, they fought against birds and lost. Yeah, look up the emo emu wars. <laughs> Not the emo wars. That would be the laziest war ever. Everyone was, it's like, I don't know, that one was really depressing. There are dozens of things that are venomous and snakes that are somehow the size of your entire existence. And yet Australia manages to survive. And then there's the platypus. Before I get into the animal itself, I want to talk about the root of its name because I'm a super cool person who loves etymology, not entomology, which is studying things like moths, which I have a legitimate phobia of, etymology. Platypus comes from Greek, platus meaning flat and pus meaning foot, flat foot. So this would have been turned into platypus, which was then turned into the Latin platypus because obviously we can't let things be their original language in science. No, never. Since it was originally Greek, we should actually be using the ending podis for words like this. Like, we would actually be using octopodes for the plural of octopus. This should be platopodes. We should not be using any other word, but we don't. Scientists actually use platypus as a singular and a plural, or platypuses. Occasionally, you'll see platypoda. Platypi is wrong. Platypi is incorrect. (laughs) I'm assuming platypi is the plural, not like... A pastry dish made of platypus meat. No, platypi is assuming that this is a Latin masculine noun. Okay. It is neither Latin nor masculine. So it is incorrect. Octopi is also less correct. Basically, we really like to take Latin and Greek words and smoosh them together and sound really smart that way, when in fact, we all sound like morons. So don't use platypi unless your teacher makes you. So guys, here's my thing. And I actually taught this in class throughout my entire teaching career, which probably horrifies other teachers. Play the game, write what your teacher expects you to write, say what your teacher expects you to say, but make sure you know the actual information and find the loopholes in the lessons whenever you can. Yeah, that sounds a lot like and you. I had students who would get something wrong and I'd call them in to talk about it or they'd count it ro- I'd count it wrong and they'd come in and it's like, actually, Miss Maddie, you phrased it like this and that's a loophole. And I'd be like, dang, you're right. So I would count it right and I would fix it for the next time because they did exactly what I told them, which was find the loophole and exploit it. <laughs> wow. Because I truly believe there is nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not doing it to hurt someone, if you find a way to do something easier... If you find a way to get to an answer faster, if you find a way to put in something that is more accurate, do it. Unless you are hurting someone. Anyway, that's not about the platypus. We learned about the platypus in this fairly innocuous way. A student's like, look, they look like something you little eight-year-olds would imagine. They have a duck bill and a body kind of like a kitty cat with little, little otter feet and a beaver tail. How cute are they? That's how we learned about them, right? Yeah. We also learned that they're mammals who also lay eggs, and that's really neat. Yeah. Did you learn anything else about them? Um, as an adult? I'm talking uh, about as a kid. Oh, as a kid? Uh, they live in the water and they swim around. But sometimes they live on land because they are not they are not aquatic creatures. Yep. Yeah, um, there's a good amount of that that's not quite a lie, but it's making it so that they're not terrifying nightmare fuel for eight-year-olds because they are nightmare fuel. Okay. <laughs> So I have this theory that when the universe and all of its creatures were created, it wasn't done like so much of this carefully thought out plan. It's like, I'm going to create something that looks exactly like this. I feel like they found the props storage room of the universe, threw a bunch of shit into a box, and whoever created the universe is like, I'm going to put these together and see what happens. I don't think that's how any of this works. I Either think that's way. exactly what happens. Okay, um, kids, kids, just like... Pay attention to your biology teachers. And also don't mess with your school props or props anywhere without the express permission of the director. But seriously, I think that's what happened. And then they got to the bottom of the box and they had like, here's a duck bill and a beaver tail and these weird web feet. Well, if they only used some of them that kind of made sense together, they would have leftover parts but and also only a partially made animal. So they were like, fuck it. And just threw all this stuff together. And that's how we got the platypus. 
But scientists don't agree with me because they like being wrong and they're jerks, which I will reference several times. Scientists are jerks because they do some shady shit here. (laughs) So according to a 2008 article in National Geographic, they are actually our most distant mammalian relatives. So like all mammals share, I think I read at least 80% of the same DNA, but we have like that 20% difference between them and us. Wow. Its genomic family is called the, okay, here we go. Ornithorynchnidae. That is so pronounced incorrectly. Ornithorn. This is where it gets me. Is this Ornithorynchidae? Yeah, that's where it gets me. Is right there. Yep. No, A E. If I'm not mistaken, is plural though. Kind of. Which wouldn't make sense because they are the only ones. There is no other one of this species or of this family. Well, there is, but kind of like that book din- about dinosaurs. All my friends are dead. That's what the platypus is. There were other ones, but all of their friends are dead. (laughs) The closest living thing to them now is the echidna. There are four different kinds of echidna. And guys, they are so cute. They are like huggable porcupines. Now, are they (laughs) also terrifying? You just didn't read enough about, about them to know that they are terrifying? Probably, but I'm not entirely sure because like during all of the fires, which I mean, Australia is still on fire, right? One, I think, oh God, I think New South Wales is now officially, it's still on fire, but it's not uncontrollably on fire. There are these videos of like echidnas going to people's bird baths and stuff. And they're just so, they look like hedgehogs, I guess, more than even porcupines. They're so cute. So it's really dumb too, that it's sometimes called the duck-billed platypus because there isn't another platypus. Unless you're really stupid and you confuse it with a bug, a flower, or a fish, or a record label, or a Green Day song. I don't know why we call it both the platypus and the duck-billed platypus, because there is nothing to distinguish. I think it's just, it's like, it's the, it's the crazy thing with the duck-bill. That is far from the craziest thing about this. Far. Okay. That is, this is miles away from the craziest thing You're, about this. I'm, I'm in suspense. You're building up <laughs> so much. Apparently the platypus genome includes, and I don't think this disproves my theory about the celestial prop box, okay? Their genome includes mammals reptiles, and birds. When you break down their genome, all three of those things are in there. That's not really uncommon and actually follows with a lot, we, with a lot of what we know about evolutionary biology, but keep going. How many things like that are alive now? Alive. I, was a, I was able to find stuff that included mammals and reptiles and reptiles and birds. I was not able to find things that included all three. Yes, alive now is the key term. See, and that's the thing. That is why these are important. And you just brought me, that was a good transition. So the monotremes, which includes the platypus and the echidna, split from other mammals around 166 million years ago, which gives us information about a transitional point when evolution leads from reptiles to mammals. So we used to be reptiles. Yes. <laughs> no, I knew that. But I'm, in, I'm putting that in here because people think that we solely evolved from apes, which is also not really correct. We just shared a common ancestor. And yet, guys, if you believe strictly in creationism i actually don't think any of this goes against creationism it i think it does i don't think it does like unless you unless you're a six thousand year old earth thing in which case you are wrong but i kind of look at it as you know whatever this great celestial being is like i'm creating this i'm gonna tweak it it's not as fun now (laughs) like i feel like it's when you like get lego figures and you start changing out the body parts you are playing God to these Lego figures. How is that? And you're like, you're creating these new things you're, and you're evolving them along the way. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with Lego figures was pull off the arms and have the <laughs> and you can stick them in like the, the holes in their butt. So they have arms coming out of their butt. It's one of my favorite things to do with husbands. Is that what happened to the last one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. But that said, I am not a creationist. And if you think that there is no such thing as evolution, you can leave now. Go enjoy your Ark Encounters Museum. You'll have a great time and you'll get to see a caveman riding a triceratops. I don't know if it's still the case, but back when we were in high school, they made it a law that you had to teach creationism in science classes. I remember that. And I remember in the science class where they said, okay, creationism. And they there was a five minute little thing on creationism followed by this will not be on the test. And now back to evolution. You know what my science teacher did? What? Handed out the syllabus for the entire year at the beginning and put it last. And we just ran out of time. <laughs> I had a couple of science teachers who ran out of time. You know, you can only teach so much in the course of a year, so you might as well not teach the thing that's not science. So around 300 million years ago, having this combination of things was not uncommon. So Austin's over here saying, oh yeah, there are lots like that. No, they're all dead. 
They're all dead. Except for the platypus. The platypus should not be. It should not be a thing. It should not exist. But it's really fucking stubborn. And it existed alongside the dinosaurs. <laughs> so, okay, I know none of you can see this at home. But you know that meme of, like, I think it's Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's standing in front of the evidence board, <laughs> and he's just wide-eyed, and he's pointing. That is all that's happening right now. It's that. Did you see the preview for the new season of Stranger Things? Yes! I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen the photos. Me too. I saw the photo. Oh, it's... We, okay. We're going to watch it after this. We're going to watch it after this. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I want to pause the recording and watch it now. Yeah, actually. Okay, let's do that. We're monsters. Here, don't pause it. We'll just cut this out. Okay. Or we'll leave it in. <laughs> I don't think we legally can. Oh, yeah. Stranger things. I cannot type on this stupid tablet. So I have an Apple tab, not Apple, an Amazon tablet. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying this for the benefit of our listeners. I don't know how much you're cutting out. Austin is editing for the first time. So I'm going to just like unnecessarily bleep stuff she says to make it sound like she swears a lot. Okay, here we go. Because she swears a lot. Okay, so lots of people are mad that they showed Hopper in this trailer. I'm thinking it's like, okay, if they're showing us Hopper, what's the actual reveal? What are they trying? What is the thing that they are hiding? Because... Well, also, we have to look at the fact he looks healthy. Yeah, he lost some weight, but he was also just in a Marvel movie, which I think, like, they make you lose a lot of weight to be in a Marvel movie. It's one of the requirements is anorexia. I think that's what Chris Evans said. Oh my god, remember Chris Pratt when between seasons of, um, of Parks and Rec? Or they were like, what happened? I stopped drinking beer. That's it. (laughs) When in fact he went and, you know, did, oh crud, what was that movie called? Guardians of the Galaxy. Thank you. You know know I have a really bad memory for stuff like that. And uh, my favorite quote was like, when he got the role, he just like hung up and said to his, at then wife, uh, Anna Ferris, like, honey, you need to stop baking now. (laughs) Okay. So there are two couples in Hollywood that have made me question the existence of love. Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt breaking up, and Will Arnett and Amy Poehler breaking up. Maybe, okay, so, but we can't blame Parks and Rec because there is one couple remaining that keeps me believing in love. You know who it is. Megan Mullally and, and Nick, Nick Offerman. Offerman. That is some real fucking love. If you have not read his books, you need to. There's like whole sections that are just, my wife is the best thing in the entire world. I really like my wife. I'm still pissed off he stole my journals. Ew, you don't write shit like that about me, do you? I used to, but then Nick Offerman stole my journals. <laughs> yeah, we are not big on the whole lovey-dovey thing. No, um, we actually spent our Valentine's Day eating ribs in bed and watching horror movies. Okay, let's get back to it. I'm really curious to see how you end up cutting this. I think are you, you're just doing this to fuck with me, aren't I'm you? I'm really not. It was just easier than moving the, the board to yeah. uh, pause it. I think you can leave in a lot of this. So about 300 million years ago, it was not uncommon for animals to be egg-laying mammals. There were mammal-like reptiles that laid eggs running all over the place, while now we have five total. Four are echidnas, one is the platypus. In studies, they have discovered that the milk genes, that is the ability to lactate and feed live youth, well predates the ability to give live birth. Ooh. Which brings a lot of questions into the chicken and egg theory, if you ask me. Oh my god. So if things had gone slightly differently, we could just be milking chickens right now. <laughs> Lactating chickens running all over the place. <laughs> if you've been around a chicken, that's actually a really gross image because they have no sense of shame. It's like, ugh, gross. Mom left the nipples on my chicken breast again. <laughs> oh, but we'll get into nipples here in a second. <laughs> Good. All right. And remember how I said that they have genetic markers with mammals, reptiles, and birds? Yeah. Their egg yolks have fish and reptile. Now <laughs> tell me this is normal. This is not this is not a this is not normal. Yeah, their eggs, they break them up and it's like, oh look, there are fish genes in here that apparently disappear when they become living creatures. This is not normal. No. They should not exist. <laughs> As of 2008, scientists were still looking for similarities between humans and the platypus, and I'm sure they still are now, because similarities could probably tell us a great deal about evolution just in general. Why are you reading my notes? I'm, I'm trying to get an idea of what's coming, because you I am afraid. You don't need an idea of what's coming. Okay, fine, fine. I will look away. 
And in 2004, it was discovered that unlike most other mammals, which typically have two sex chromosomes, the XX, XY, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Now, we are saying that with the understanding that there are various variations on that, um, which are part of what intersex is, along with other things. They have 10. 10. 10. Five X's and five Y's numbered accordingly. I couldn't understand any of the science that goes with that. I'm reading it. And I'm like, so do they have two sexes? Do they have 15 sexes? Like, I couldn't understand it. So I'm just going to leave it as they have 10 X and or Y chromosomes. It's nuts. Let's get into more of the non-sciencey, less sciencey stuff. When people start first, when white people first started arriving in Australia as prisoners and crew members, they started seeing these platypuses. In 1793, Governor John Hunter said that it must be the result of, quote, a promiscuous intercourse between different sexes of these different animals. And Charles Darwin's grandfather, Dr. Erasmus, why don't we use that word, that name anymore? Erasmus Darwin used that quote in his 1796 book, Zoomania. So apparently Charles was not the first Darwin to do this kind of stuff. They began sending parts of platypuses to England in hopes of getting something figured out, like they would dissect them and send organs, to the point where they really should have gone extinct because of how much we were cutting them apart because we were so freaked out by them. We looked at these things and were like, what the fuck is this? And just started chopping them apart trying to figure out what they were. The first Full platypus was sent to England in 1799, preserved in alcohol to a biologist named George Shaw. So he saw it has the bill of a duck, the fur of something that looks kind of like a cat, four short legs with claws and webbed feet, and a beaver tail. So he decided it was a taxidermied hoax and started trying to cut it open to find where the stitching was. He was like, this is quite fine taxidermy. Let me figure out how they did it. He couldn't figure it out. But he still refused to believe it wasn't just really good taxidermy. And honestly, this is not a bad assumption at this point. Like there had been a species of butterfly, you couldn't see me meeting my air quotes, that they believed in for 90 years because a scientist who wanted to have a species named after him had drawn on their wings. (laughs) They also had fish, monkey, taxidermied hybrids that you could still see in freak shows today because freak shows still exist guys uh taxidermy and they were called mermaids so it wasn't hard to believe that this was a hoax just a really good one and also threw a wrench into everything they knew about how animals work because around this time was when biology really started becoming a thing and they really started like okay these are mammals and these are fish and these are birds and they are separate things and now we have this motherfucker And it's like, what am I looking at? Because it has this bird and then this mammal and it's laying eggs. What the hell is happening? (laughs) Actually, though, they didn't know it laid eggs. They didn't know it laid eggs. They didn't. The Shaw specimen, by the way, is in a box in the Mammal Tower of London's Natural History Museum. So it is still in existence. I don't know if it's on display because what I read was in a box. So it very well could just be one of the things that is stocked away like... The vast majority of things in the Smithsonian are hidden. You cannot actually see them unless you have all these clearances. In 1836, Charles Darwin went to Australia, so back to Darwin, and he saw a platypus for himself for the first time. He referred to this as the platypus moment, which made him, quote, question creationism for the first time. This was what made him start believing in evolution was a platypus. (laughs) Because he looked at it and went, Well, fuck, there couldn't have been a plan here. (laughs) Which goes back to my idea of the prop box. (laughs) Indeed, scientists have already begun to understand the concept of evolution. As early as the early 1800s, they were going, huh, these things seem to kind of line up and they seem to kind of have a natural progression. They didn't call it evolution. I forgot to write down what they called it, but that's what it was. And this one creature is pretty hard evidence of evolution. And it's still alive and running around and... I don't know what noise it makes, but I'm imagining a horrifying squawk. I know it actually growls, but I think there's probably another noise. One of the biggest debates, of course, was how they had their babies. Some thought they laid eggs. Some thought they had live births. Now remember, the first full specimen was sent to England in 1799. The first written record of them was in 1783, if I remember right what I wrote down. Biologist George Bennett discovered that they nursed their young in 1833. But no eggs or live births were discovered until 1884. 
almost a, over 100 years after they first saw a platypus. Wow. They finally figured out how they have babies. When William Hay Caldwell was able to discover eggs with the assistance of 150 aborigines. <laughs> Probably were all like, bro, we can just tell you. It's like, yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we did not here. we did not ask any of Native people stuff about this. It's like, hey, you've been living with these animals for uh, thirty for you know thirty thousand years. Could you tell us anything about them? Oh yes, everything. Oh, I'm not going to listen to you, but show me where they live so I can figure this out. Yeah, and actually, their eggs are very hard to find, and um, because the mothers kind of wrap around them like cats wrap around themselves when it's cold. Oh, so you you go around and you're looking for a nest, and there's not really a nest, and then all of a sudden there are babies, but the babies seem to be formed under different. It, it's a thing. Back then, sending telegrams was like sending texts in 2002 where you were charged by the word. So what he sent to London was monotremes oviparis oviparis That was all he sent. I really hope there was no context and they didn't know who it was from. And they didn't know it was about platypuses. That's all I can hope. <laughs> and it really means that there are eggs and they are like reptile eggs. They are leathery on the outside like reptile eggs are. Platypus mating season is around June to October, with females breeding with multiple males and the genetics indicating that there are both local groups and migratory groups. So basically, she's like, hey, there's that cute guy got down the street. I'm a mate with him. And then, ooh, who's that new bad boy who ran into town? I'm a mate with him, too. I'm just imagining, like, these gangs of platypuses with leather jackets and sunglasses on motorcycles traveling around. Isn't that basically what Perry the Platypus is? What? From, oh, is he from Kim Possible? No, that was a naked mole rat. No, okay, then it's from, um, it's from a, some show like that. It's still around. Okay. Um, oh god, the one with the triangle faces, I think? Oh, oh, Phineas and Ferb? Yeah, Phineas and Ferb, they have a platypus named Perry. What? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so they mate with both local and migratory ones, and this is really weird. Female platypuses have two ovaries, but only the left one is functional. Despite that, they almost always have twins. They develop internally for about 28 days. And then externally for only 10, meaning that the vast majority of their development is internal. We compare this to a chicken egg that stays inside for one day and outside for 21. So that is where you see the major difference other than the fur between these guys and birds. The female curls around them like a cat. She doesn't have a nest like a bird does. Now, you probably learned about the egg laying in school. Probably didn't learn much more than that. No. You might have learned that because they're mammals, they lactate and drink milk from their mom. Yeah, I think you, I remember that. You probably didn't learn much beyond that. No. No, we had kittens. We had kittens. We, we had fosters. Mm-hmm. And remember how they would get the milk? Yeah, they just squeak and then like, you know, latch onto them and just start going yeah. nuts. Well, and they have those cute little mouths that are shaped for it and they don't have teeth. I think what platypuses have. Bills. And they are born with motherfucking teeth. Ooh. Their teeth fall out and they stop having teeth later. They're born with teeth and they have bills. So if their mom had nipples, there'd be no way to latch on. So she doesn't. She lactates like we sweat. Ew. Actually, that does kind of make sense because mammary glands are just modified sweat glands. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So she, this is what I learned this week that made me want to do this. She lactates like we sweat and just sweats out milk. (laughs) And it goes into these grooves in her abdomen and the babies come up and lick it off. That's so disgusting. I love it. I know. The thing is, it's not disgusting. It's it, but it is because it's different. It's kind of like when we like our fingernails aren't gross until we cut them off because they are not part of us. This is gross because it's not something that we do. So let's move on from reproduction and birth and just talk about their weird bodies now. Let's t- let yes. Let's move on from reproduction and just talk about weird bodies. Their fur is actually really cool. It is waterproof. And can trap air that insulates them so they stay warm underwater. Ooh, cool. Their beaver tail stores fat, which we also see in Tasmanian devils, which is, you know, kind of a fuel source. Their eyes and ears are in a groove that is set back from the dorsal surface of their uh, snout. And when they are swimming, it all gets closed up. Their (gasps) eyes and ears get covered completely to keep water out. So they are swimming blind and deaf. How do they find stuff? Electrolocation, not echolocation, electrolocation. Like what with the shark, like what the sharks do? Outside of aquatic only animals, this is only seen in monotremes and one species of dolphin. 
Wow. No, I mean, I, I know dolphins are aquatic only, but they are also mammals. I'm talking about outside of things like that are just fish. So electrolocation basically means they can detect the electrical energy given off by other objects around them. So you know how everything has electrical energy, especially if it's alive. This lets them communicate because they also have their own electrical fields, find objects and hunt their prey. They are carnivores but they eat like itty bitty things. It seems that they can tell the difference between living and artificial objects, though they can be fooled when animal-like electrical impulses are sent through artificial objects because scientists are universally jerks. So what you're saying is when the robot apocalypse comes and we're trying to fight Terminators, uh, we need to find platypuses and use them to detect the Terminators. Yes, we need to have a platypus army. All right. The science behind all of this though, because like, I was reading about it and it goes into like their brain development and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to call it magic and move on. Okay. Now let's talk about their feet. Okay. So when we look at cat feet, we're all like, oh, look at the beats without thinking about the fact that they are literally murder machines made out of claws that want to kill you. Mm-hmm. Platypus feet are also murder machines, but kind of way worse. So first of all, their feet are webbed, but the webbing can be folded back when walking on land. And on land, they walk on their knuckles to protect the, protect the webbing. So they've got these really fucking strong knuckles that, so they can beat you up and fight. Because mm-hmm. they don't actually know how to punch, as far as I know. Both male and female platypuses are born with ankle spurs, but females fall off. So male adult ones have them, and they're fucking venomous. I, I learned that later that they're like the only venomous mammal. I don't or think so. Or one of so. the only venomous mammals. But this is the only, but I didn't go into that at all. So they definitely didn't mention that in second grade that nope. males have venomous spurs on their ankles. The venom is like is largely defensin-like proteins or DLPSs, three of which are unique only to the platypus. These called uh, these cause lysis, which is the breaking down of cellular membranes and vi- bacteria and viruses. So basically, we have bacteria in our bodies. Mm-hmm. These little spurs hit you and break down their membranes. Oh, you need your bacteria to survive. It is powerful enough to kill animals the size of dogs. But we only know that because scientists injected it directly into dogs because scientists are universally jerks and killed the dogs with platypus venom. This is incredibly painful. Oh. It is not powerful enough to kill humans, though it is so incredibly painful it can cause incapacitation. It also can cause fluid retention and a heightened sensitivity to other pain in general that can last for months. Wow. So you will end up basically really swollen and everything will hurt. If like somebody pokes you, it's going to be excruciating. This is not unlike snake venom, just less deadly to humans. Human attacks are not uncommon because we're real dumb. We don't think, oh, look, I'm by a body of water that has good vegetation on the side. I probably should avoid any platypuses. Nope, we're just like, I'm gonna walk through this because I'm sure I'll be fine. It's like, we're probably too busy looking out for crocodiles and snakes to worry about the platypuses, which basically look like beanbag cats with bills. I feel like, though, the platypuses are probably teaming up with the crocodiles. We're like, okay, I'm a, I'm going to incapacitate this guy. You get to eat him, and in exchange, you leave me alone. I was actually starting to think about this. It's like, we should have realized platypuses were scary as fuck. They're alive in Australia, being as, like, messed up as they are. Like, mm-hmm. something has to be going on that's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's believed that during, uh... It is believed that these are usually used as defensive measures, except during mating season when they become offensive to ward off other males. And in fact, we have proof that their venom amount increases during mating season. So basically, their feet are murder machines. Until the early 20th century, they were hunted for their pelts because people liked to hang dead animals around their necks like foxes. I never could figure out why people were like, Wallace, look at this whole animal I have hanging about my neck. Isn't it attractive on me? Oh. It is a carcass. Mm. I don't get it. Like, I can kind of get why fur was considered fashionable. I'm not a fur person myself. The one time I've ever been in contact with a fur coat, it smelled like she had just gutted the animal herself and then put its body on her body. And it was falling apart. It was real gross. Fur is not okay, but I get it for the time period with the lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. But and having was- a literal dead animal hanging around your neck, why? I'm sure we'll, people will say the exact same thing in 20 years. It's like, I can't believe they're wearing those nylon leggings that had wizards printed on them. I do wear those. We actually aren't sure how common they were historically, but they did become protected in 1905. They had a continued risk of drowning until the 1950s due to fishing nets because, yes, they can drown. They are not fish. 
Just like dolphins can be drowned and whales can be drowned. A lot harder with whales, though. Like, can you imagine trying to, like, keep a whale underwater long enough? <laughs> I guess a beluga whale. Beluga whales are so neat. Beluga whales are also gigantic. They're, like, they're 900 not, pounds. They're 900 pounds, but a fishing net could definitely get Oh, them. yeah. Conservation attempts have actually been really successful, though they were considered near-threatened because of disruptions of natural habitats through things like irrigation. Until January of this year. They are, because of the drought and because of the fires and because of all the stuff that's happening, platypuses went from being maybe threatened, probably not, to near extinction. Oh. Just in like the last year. So guys, these fires, you can sit there all you want and be like, well, it's because of arson, so we shouldn't help. Guys, it's killing off murder machines. And we need these murder machines for when the Terminators come. Because they absolutely need water to survive, and that water is going away. There are platypuses in sanctuaries, but in-house breeding has proven really difficult. They don't like to do it. Maybe they want a choice in this. Maybe they want to be able to consent. Maybe they don't like each other. Maybe they need those roving bands of bad boys. (laughs) Maybe they need Perry the Platypus to come in on his motorcycle. I don't watch that show. If you want to find them in the U.S., okay, so they're all in Australia except for one in the U.S. It doesn't, I could not find anything about there being platypuses in captivity anywhere else at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. They attempted to bring them to the Bronx Zoo in 1922, 1947, and 1958, but they all died. So if you want to see them in captivity, it's in a bunch of places in Australia and in San Diego. Breeding is not going well. Please donate money to places that are helping them and all the other animals in Australia. If you want to learn more, check out the Australian Platypus Conservancy, which also has a Facebook page. Their goal is to learn and teach about the platypus, and they have a dedication to making sure people understand the best possible habitats for them. They have found that insufficient vegetation seems to be one of the major problems because they eat things like worms, and worms need vegetation. But humans go in there and they're like, this looks like a great place for my cows. So it's over it's overgrazing that's doing it. If you live in Australia or Tasmania and you stop, spot a platypus in the wild, the Australian Platypus Conservancy also has a place where you can report it. Be like, look, I found a platypus. And so they kind of have a way to mark it and see where they are. If you are somewhere else that is not Australia or Tasmania and you see a platypus, you probably should run fast and run far because you are in a thin place where we have gotten too close to some kind of parallel universe. They do not exist anywhere else. So there's a lot more, but I'll leave it at this. They're not cute, sweet little creatures that we were taught about in second grade. They are amazing murder machines and we should make an army. And we should also make an army of emus and all the rest of Australia's animals except echidnas and quokkas because those are just cute. I would actually love to see a bunch of platypuses riding emus in the war. I think that they would win. We already know that emus would win. So that is the platypus. Oh, God. Yeah. Did you learn something about the platypus today? I'll I'll ask you that question for so later. I did. Now, here are your questions about will this be on the test? Will the fact that we know platypus venom can kill dogs because we injected it in dogs be on the test? No, because nothing will make white people lose their shit faster than learning about tortured dogs. Will the fact that platypus is actually incorrect be on the test? Or I mean platypi. Platypi. No, because it's very confusing. (laughs) Will the fact that females sweat milk that is licked off by their young be on the test? Yes, because kids need horror in their lives. What about in second grade? No, absolutely not. I think that was the last time I learned about Australia was second grade. Will the fact that they didn't believe in platypuses for years be on the test, even though they were shown actual platypuses? Yes, because those are just so weird. And will the fact that the platypus was the first thing that made Charles Darwin question creationism be on the test? Yes, that will, but only at public schools. It will not appear in a Catholic school. No, it will not. They will deny the existence of the platypus. Okay, I did attend Catholic school, and it never came up, but I don't think they denied the existence of the platypus. There's a reason it never came up. It's like, we can't have these kids learning about platypuses. It'll make them question everything. We denied the existence of other things, like platonic relationships between men and women, but we never talked about the platypus. So that's the platypus. Oh, boy. So I thought I was going to have the weird and gross one this time. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to talk to you because we're currently dealing with a big, everyone in the news is panicking about the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, if you are worried about the coronavirus, get your flu shot. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. The flu shot and coronavirus aren't related, but the flu 
spreads more easily and is deadlier than the coronavirus. Yes. And the flu shot actually works pretty well. So get your fucking flu shot. Yeah, like we've talked about, we've had to delay two episodes because, or not delay, play pre-recorded episodes because we had the flu. We do not mean the flu that was from the flu shot. It was something that was not the flu. It was just a really bad, like, really bad cold, I guess. Yeah. And then I had a stomach bug. We had the colloquial flu, not the influenza flu. Yeah, so get your flu shot, because if you're afraid of the coronavirus, you should be more afraid of the flu. Wash your hands regularly. Don't stick your fingers in your eyes and up your nose. Like, it's basic common sense. And if you start to think, huh, I feel really, really, really sick, go to the doctor, not the hospital, unless you have a valid reason to go to the ER. Go to your GP, because the hospital is busy enough as it is, and more expensive, and get treated. They'll tell you if you need to go to the hospital. So because of this, I decided I'm going to talk about a different virulent disease from old, from the olden days. I also, almost did the plague this week. Oh, this is a different one. This is a dip, This is a more different plague. Okay. This is, it's super gross. It has killed tens to hundreds of millions of people. Okay. And it's still around today. And when it surfaces, it causes panic at the WHO. Okay. I'm going to talk about cholera. Oh, all right. So, I thought you were going to go with dysentery. No. It's, a, it's the it's the other Oregon Trail disease, which was around at that time. Uh-huh. And so cholera is a bacteria. It's an infection of the small intestine caused by the bacterium of the Vibrio chlorurae family. Uh, the symptoms include ridiculous amounts of watery diarrhea. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm paraphrasing this because it is insane amounts, like enough that you are dangerously dehydrated within hours of showing symptoms. Okay. Um, you become so dehydrated that uh, your hands and feet wrinkle. You get muscle cramps. Your eyes sink in and you start to turn blue. Maybe I had cholera a few weeks ago. I can guarantee you did not have cholera. <laughs> it. They think this is what killed Tchaikovsky. But we also know that... Um, we also know now know that bacteria is spread through unsanitary water. But we didn't always know that. Yep. And I'm going to talk about how we figured that out. Because it's pretty awesome. So bacteria had been discovered in 1676, but we hadn't made the connection between bacteria and disease. It was going to take Louis Pasteur and a few other guys to actually make that that leap in the 1860s. The milk guy? Yeah, Louis Pasteur, the milk guy. But not platypus milk. Not platypus milk. Probably. I mean, how would you even get, how would you even like collect platypus milk? Just ring the platypus. <laughs> because hand gestures work really well on it. I just picked, I, I like picked, picked up an imaginary platypus and just wrung it out. Like a towel. You're a monster. You're worse than all those scientists that poison those dogs. Poison dogs and to cut apart platypuses to the point where they were on the brink of extinction. We thought the diseases were in fact caused by bad smells. Yep. It was the miasma theory. Lots of early sanitation was based around this thought that, you know, these bad smells are causing these diseases. Uh-huh. Uh, Florence Nightingale, a lot of the cleaning she did was not entirely because of the bacteria. It was to create a good smelling environment, which just coincidentally happened to kill off a lot of bacteria and make things safe. I also almost covered her this week. In 1846 to 1860, there was a global cholera pandemic. It had been in the Indian subcontinent for a while. But the modern fast transportation and all of that junk made cholera just, you know, spread all over the planet. And old cities like Paris and London, where there were lots of people crammed together in a small space with not a lot of, well, any sanitation, really. This is still the time where they're throwing waste out windows, right? Oh, and much worse than that, too. Did you know that's actually why men are, are, you know, historically supposed to walk on the outside of the street while women walk close to the buildings? I thought it was so you couldn't get grabbed by passing strangers. The current belief is that it's because that was closer to the cars and you were likely to get splashed, but it actually goes farther back from when they would throw the human waste out of the windows so that the women were less likely to get hit than the men. Disgusting. Yes. So yeah, these were like the perfect environment for spreading cholera. And it spread really well and a lot of people died. We're going to talk about a very specific outbreak in 1854 in Broad Street, in the Soho area of London. It killed 616 people and infected about 5,000. Me too. And a man used this outbreak to prove that it wasn't miasma that was causing cholera, but in fact, it was a waterborne disease. And are you ready for this? Uh Uh-huh. That man was Dr. John Snow. (laughs) 
please get your Game of the Thrones Game of Thrones jokes out of the way now. Did he want to have sex with his half or his aunt? Oh man, I don't know. He was a vegetarian. I don't think the two things are connected. Nope, they are not connected at all. So he was skeptical of the miasma theory, and he hypothesized that cholera was in fact a waterborne pathogen. Now, as a side note, London was really gross. Yeah. There was a, been a huge influx of people. The sewers could not keep up with the number of people that were showing up in London. Mm-hmm. And plus, this was the time when animals were all over the streets. So were their droppings. There were slaughterhouses everywhere because there was no refrigeration. So you had to slaughter cattle right next to people. I'm sorry. I'm just like imagining, you know, you're walking to your wedding down the street and all of a sudden you got cow blood all over you. Yeah. When you walk by a slaughterhouse, you switch sides. So that way the woman doesn't get splashed with cow blood. That's an, an, that's a little known rule. I think you're making shit up. I'm absolutely making shit up. Of course I'm making And the men are walking down the street in their high heels and corsets. Actually, I think this is a different time period than that. But Yeah, I mean, they weren't wearing high heels, mostly. And of course, uh, and all, lots of houses had cesspits uh-huh. dug under the floorboards of their, their cellars. But because there were so many more people living there, these cesspits were filling up and like leaking out into the streets and into like the water supply and Ooh, like what happened with that guy who murdered all those people in his basement. Yeah, and they were just like throwing waste out into the streets. And they were blaming the butcher next door. And it was getting just washed down this washed down the downhill into the Thames, which was where people got their water. Yep. So when all these people had cholera, which makes you shit uncontrollably in massive amounts, it would go into the it would go into these cesspits, into the water supply out the windows, into the streets, into the Thames, to be pumped back up into the people's drinking water. That's what was going on. And when you're dehydrated, you're drinking more water. There was this major outbreak. Break, um, within the first three days, 127 people had died. Shortly after that, three quarters of the population of this neighborhood fled within that week. Within about 10 days, 500 people had died, and the mortality rate was around 12.8%. Wow. Yeah. So, again... That was another thing that made this really hard to track is because it killed so quickly. And people would flee from these areas because they didn't know it was causing this disease. Uh-huh. They thought if it was the miasma, you need to get away from that bad air that was causing this and go somewhere else. So they'd spread out and the people who were infected but not showing symptoms would die somewhere else and it wouldn't be in this neighborhood. So they'd be far away and it was really hard to track what was going on with this. Dr. John Snow actually put in the effort. He'd go around to the, all of the families listed where people had died of this, and he'd talk to them about where they lived and all of this stuff, map where they died, and made, had this big map with all of these pins in it where people lived, the people who had died, and he was able to determine from this map where people were getting their water from, and a majority of these deaths were getting their water from the Broad Street Pump. Okay. This was pretty important. This was like the beginning of the study of epidemiology. It was so, it was like he invented a scientific field trying to figure out what was going on with cholera. Then he looked at the water companies that were providing these places because it's like he determined that this one pump had been infecting all these people and the people who were getting sick were getting their water from, you know, south of London, downstream, where all the poo-poo water was. And the people who were mostly fine were getting it from further upstream where there was much less poo-poo water. Uh-huh. That's like, so therefore, it's like these people with the, with the contaminated water were more likely to get cholera. Mm-hmm. He'd figure this out. And it was enough to get the local authorities to take the handle off of this pump. But he de- he determined that that really didn't slow down this particular epidemic because it was already so widespread. You know, it was a good, yay, attaboy moment for these local authorities. Uh, there was one anomaly, though. There was a brewery near this pump where shockingly few of the employees got sick. And they determined it was because they were drinking beer, not the water. And that the water they were gathering was boiled as part of the beer making process. Mm-hmm. And that was killing off the cholera bacteria. There have been a lot of times throughout history where they realized drinking beer was safer than drinking water. I mean, this is definitely one of those times in period, those times in history where drinking beer was safer than drinking water. <laughs> Except for either one of us. Yeah, we would we'd be so dead. Allergies. Allergies. He also investigated some outbreak outbreaks where they had been had had clean water and was trying to figure it out. One was because there was a leaky sewer line that was dripping into the water supply, mm-hmm. and the other one was because there was a leaky cesspit where uh, they had been basically emptying out a sick baby's diapers into it. Oh. And it was leaking into the water. Yeah, that's one thing we don't talk about is babies got this too. Yeah, this was very deadly for people of every age, including babies. Get your flu shot. Babies can't get them. So then Jon Snow had a conclusion. Uh, Cholera was caused by some agent in the water. They They didn't know what it was at this point, 
they, he was pretty sure it wasn't a poison, but there was just something in the water. Sorry, you said agent in the water, and now I'm picturing Leslie Nielsen from the Naked Gun movies. Thank you. <laughs> yes, Leslie Nielsen was creeping out of your well and stabbing you so hard you shit yourself to death. And that was cholera. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen was cholera. The water tainted with, with cholera diarrhea, or the fecal-oral route, uh-huh. was responsible for the spread of this disease, not the air. Mm-hmm. He had statistical stuff proving it. He found all of these cases. He had it nailed down that this was not causing it. And he had solid ba- evidence to back it up. Even though he wasn't able to, to isolate the bacterium responsible for causing cholera, he had determined that sanitary measures and stuff like this could prevent cholera outbreaks. This was huge. Because, again, cholera killed tens of millions of people. This was a huge disease. It was fast. It would just show up suddenly. It'd kill entire communities and then it'd just disappear. So this was a big deal. And his findings were dismissed. Of course. Miasma theory was still widely accepted. And even the... Wait, fe- wait, wait. Wasn't miasma basically cured with essential oils because they smelled nice? Yeah. That's where essential oils come from, is people thinking that sickness is caused by bad smells. So next time Karen tries to sell you some essential oil, say no. Yeah, next time that person you haven't talked to since high school friends you on Facebook and uh, take a look at a few of her profile pictures before you agree. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, fecal oral route was just too much for Victorian gentlemen to really consider. It's icky. It's so icky. If it's icky, it can't be real. Wait, you're saying there's poo-poo in the water? Hee-hee, <laughs> poo-poo. So the handle was put back on the Broad Street pump, even though it was still getting sewage-tainted water. Yep. We don't like to believe that water can do bad things. That's why Flint and, like, 30 other cities in the United States are all having that same problem. It's really weird. So, of course, there was a board of health that was established to check the air quality for diseases. Oh, God. Yeah. But they did look at water samples, and they did determine, yes... The South London water was contaminated with feces. Like all men's beards. And also, hilariously, they did find something that they called vibriones, which were basically wiggly tubes in the water. And they didn't know what they were, but they were probably the cholera bacteria. (laughs) Because cholera bacteria, under a microscope, looks like a wiggly tube. (laughs) Vibriones. Yep. Then, of course, the Board of Health determined that the outbreak was caused by miasma. (laughs) But within the next- Look at all this science- Let's ignore it. But within the next few years, Louis Pasteur did his research and Robert Cox worked with anthrax would finally kill the miasma theory and really cement the germ theory that we use now that microscopic organisms cause sickness. So why, why were those guys inherently more believable than Jon Snow? Because they found the actual mechanism. Okay. It's like, oh, hey, it's these bacteria, and we're proving it that it's these bacteria that are causing these things, not an unknown agent in the water. They actually found stuff that was doing it, and it did lead to, you know, them finally taking this seriously and, like, you know, fixing the sanitation problems. And getting rid of Leslie Nielsen from their sewers. Yeah, they finally just, like, you know... They finally found Leslie Nielsen. They finally found him hiding in the sewers, and they said, listen here, buddy, we're sending you to America. You better make some movies. You know, you could have easily worked in a Shirley joke there, and you didn't. You should be ashamed of yourself. Surely you must be joking. Too late. It's too late. Let's talk more about modern cholera, because cholera is still around. It's still very prevalent in third world countries or any place with poor sanitation. The WHO, the World Health Organization, still monitors all over the world for cholera outbreaks. And most countries have very good like reporting structures to let them know that, hey, we're having a cholera outbreak here. How common is it among the, let's say, under four crowd in the United States? Do you know? Actually, it's not very prevalent in the United States, like, at all. Wow. It's because, again, it, because of how it's spread, and we have generally great sanitation in this country. It's like, nowadays, that since the majority of kids end up, I don't know if it's the majority, I don't know the statistics, but a higher number than ever of kids end up in daycare. And I've worked in this kind of environment we do keep them very clean, but it's impossible to keep up with it 110%. I can't imagine that there's not a lot of stuff that's spread because of things like this. Not probably, because the kids are drinking toilet water necessarily. I mean, there probably, probably is something, but it's not cholera. Or we're collaring it something else. It's also, now that we understand it better, it's easier to treat. Uh, we treat it with IV fluids, uh, hydration with clean water, and electrolytes, which really help mitigate some of the deadlier symptoms of it. So you just have to, like, you know... 
take in more fluids than you're shitting out, and you're fine, mostly. Okay. Only the most severe cases are actually treated with antibiotics, which are, like, you know, usually the, the very young or the very old. And it's currently got a less than 1% mortality rate with treatment. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we've got a pretty good handle on it. And even in the places where we don't have the sanitation to prevent it, we at least know enough to treat it. Okay. In 2010, there was a big cholera outbreak in Haiti, which was the most recent big one, uh, after the earthquake. I was about to say, I think that was the earthquake year. Yeah, because people were living in poor sanitary conditions after the earthquake. Oh, how's Puerto Rico doing? As far as I can tell, they have not had any big cholera outbreaks. So, yay. I haven't heard anything about it. Of course, is that something that we would really make sure people knew about? Yeah. Because they're owned by the United... Not owned by, but they're part of the United States, and we are like we are pretending that we didn't do anything wrong. We also have social media, and I figure if there were big cholera outbreaks, we'd at least be hearing about, like, oh my god, there's so many people dying of cholera in Puerto Rico right now because of this... All of these problems caused by hurricanes and earthquakes. But we haven't heard any of that. There is a vaccine that exists for cholera. It's effective for about two to three years, but there is limited availability of it. Yeah. And the, the WHO is currently investigating a wide-scale vaccination to help spread, stop the spread of cholera. It does not. It's not very promising, though. Yeah, well, only two to three years. That's a lot of booster shots. The U.S. FDA does recommend a vaccine for people who are traveling to endemic countries. Makes sense. Yep. What about Jon Snow? Uh, he, not only did he invent epidemiology, he really did start the push for sanitation in cities like this. His work more or less shaped the basic infrastructure of how we build large cities and have lo- a bunch of people together without getting constantly sick. So he was listened to about certain things. He was listened to eventually. Again, this is like a few years after he stated this. They finally raised, oh yeah, he was right. We should probably do these things. It wasn't a miasma. We need to take care of the water. Okay. And... He also had possibly one of the greatest English honors. They named a pub after him. That is an honor. Uh, they do every year. They hold uh, public health lectures there at a replica of the Broad Street Pump, in which they take the handle off, talk about current public health matters, and then put the hump, hump handle back on. That's cool. Yeah, that is John Snow. All right. Are you, for, are you ready for some questions? I am. Okay. Will John Snow be on the test? Yeah. What about before Game of Thrones? Yeah. Okay. Will the fecal-oral route be on the test? Yes. Will the miasma theory be on the test? Yes. Will the existence of an effective cholera vaccine be on the test? Probably not. Will the fact that cholera can be fatal within hours be on the test? No. Yeah, that would be terrifying. How do we have a less than 1% fatality rate with treatment now? Like, how do they get treatment fast enough? I mean, it can be fatal within hours, but that's like the extreme edge cases. Usually it's... Like, a week. Okay. As long as we can catch it and keep you hydrated, you're fine. Okay. But it's still incredibly unpleasant. I'd imagine so. And that's one of those diseases you can't just... Like, if you caught the plague nowadays, you could be like, I had the motherfucking plague. I don't think you'd want to tell anybody that you had cholera. You would just be like, I had the flu. Yep. I had real bad flu. Real bad flu. Because you don't want people to know oh, that you had poop I forgot one of the best descriptions of um, the diarrhea that comes shooting out of you. Oh, no. They described it as looking like rice water, which is kind of like a milky, whitish fluid. Why? Why are you telling me this? Because you talked about platypuses. I was going to leave that detail out. Nothing about platypuses was that gross. I had to win. Like, milk sweat is nothing as gross as that. I guess they might have been kind of the same color. I Maybe. (laughs) Oh, I love you. Gross. So, what did you learn? Well, now all I can think about is rice water shit. (laughs) I didn't even know that was a thing, so that's what I learned. Yay! What did you learn about platypuses? That they have 10 separate sex chromosomes. Yeah. So weird. Like, how does that factor in? I gotta read... I I couldn't understand the science. I don't know enough about biology to understand the platypus. There's a really good Wikipedia page that takes you directly to the information about the 10 chromosomes of the platypus. I'm looking at it, I'm like, looking at all the little numbers. And I just was like, nope, done. I'm done. Ugh. So this week's episode was gross. So gross. And I can't believe Ross Geller didn't come up naturally at any point during it. No. (laughs) No, this was too gross even for Ross. Then again, Ross Geller believed in evolution and did not believe in miasma. As much as we can say bad about Ross Geller, he had a firm scientific background. He did seem to genuinely understand science. Just not social values or mores. Or how to treat women. No. Or how to be a halfway decent father. Oh, no. It's like he completely forgot about Emma. 
Oh my god. And, and Ben. Yeah, and when Emma came around, like Ben stopped existing. Yeah. And now the now one of those boys is on Riverdale. 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 Oh my god. That <clears throat> is how you can tell you've failed as a father when your kid grows up to be an Archie. Actually, have you ever watched Riverdale? Yeah, isn't it basically 90210 but with Archie? No, no, it's it's actually very dark. Oh. It's really good. <laughs> I love teenage soap opera kind of shows. And Austin will sit there and make fun of me, but he and I have had lengthy conversations about Gilmore Girls, so... This is because Gilmore Girls is perfection. The day that that new Seasons thing came out, we just stopped everything and watched it all at once. Yep. So he can make fun Logan of me. Logan is the worst. No, he's not. Logan is the worst. Logan is not the worst. Dean is and will always be the worst. Mm. So there's this website called listentoamovie.com. And they have the first season of Gilmore Girls on there. Dean is even worse when you can't see his face. I've been watching you. I don't know. I've just noticed you. Oh my God. He is like Edward Cullen. He's like the guy from You, which you haven't watched yet on Netflix. No, I haven't watched You. There you are in the bookstore. I've noticed you. Your shirt makes you makes you seem like you know, you don't want people to notice you. But look how much leg you're showing. His inner monologue is the stuff that Dean actually says on Gilmore Girls. This is unpleasant. This is more unpleasant than cholera and platypuses. At least platypuses are like kind of cute. They are so cute. You know who's not cute? Dean or Ross Geller. Actually, the guy uh, Sam. That's his. That's his character. Sam. Song. Sam and Dean. We got too uh, many demons, Sam. <laughs> uh, Jared Padalecki actually is very cute. So is Jensen Ackles. And guys, also, if you haven't seen Jensen Ackles' modeling photos from the 90s when he had frosted <laughs> tips, oh my God. you are missing out. I still can't believe Supernatural is on TV. Neither can they. <laughs> it was supposed to be a five-season show. They had this beautiful five-season arc, and then it got renewed. And they are so meta now where they just make fun of themselves constantly but the nice thing is you can tell they still enjoy it like they have to be out of like folklore at this point like the entire world's folklore oh no they have to be out by now absolutely no way they're gonna be out um and i'm several seasons behind i'm still trying to watch it i am considering doing a character from supernatural on an upcoming episode i have to find out exactly how horrifying it is Oh, no. Um, I actually almost did some fairy tales and folk tales for this episode. That's one of my favorite topics. But this is an actual recurring character that I'm considering doing in the near future. Ooh. Exciting. Oh, also, we just watched Lock and Key. And one of the characters on it is that vampire hunter from, like, season three of Supernatural. Lock and Key is good. We should finish watching that. Lock and Key is really good, guys. I understand the, oh, what's her name? Kinsey? Kinsey, yep. Yeah, I understand her a little too well, which I'm not going to give any spoilers because it is a new enough show that has not gotten enough I, credit that I will, many people will be watching I will it. also say they have gotten, like, eight-year-old boy logic perfected. Oh, yeah, the eight-year-old boy, it's not a spoiler to say who, who they are. The yeah. eight-year-old boy was Georgie in It, the new one. And I'm sitting there watching it, and I just said to Austin... This kid, he's from a horror movie, and he's screaming the same thing over and over and over. Because that's what, that's how I make associations. And Austin's like, he's Georgie. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they've got an eight-year-old boy logic perfected. Because like I'm thinking it's like, you know, if I was per- confronted with absolute definitive evidence of the supernatural, I would be doing exactly this. <laughs> um, I have presented Austin with absolute definitive evidence of the supernatural more than once, and he has yet to get a lightsaber. I mean, I don't have a lightsaber. You can get, they sell at the dollar store still. <gasps> like those ones that you like, and they come out of the tube. Oh, I love those things so, so much. So did I. Why don't we have those and just have lightsaber fights around our house? Okay, we did, how much did we spend on a leftover Valentine's Day candy yesterday? $60! So we're clearly making great adult decisions. We should probably get lightsabers next. Okay, so for our young listeners out there... People will tell you that adulthood is really hard, and that is true. You have to pay bills. You have to worry about stuff that you don't worry about as a kid. I would argue that childhood is actually a lot harder in a lot of ways. And when you're an adult, no one will judge you for spending 60 bucks on the day after holiday candy. There's no one there to do it. Now, still eat your vegetables. We actually really like vegetables. Mm -hmm. But there's no one there to judge you for having a night where all you eat for dinner is Nutella. God. Eating an entire frozen pizza. 
Yeah, no one's there to judge you. Yep. I will argue in a lot of ways that being a kid is harder because no one listens to you and you have a lot of really good ideas. No one listens to you and you really have no, like, agency. Yeah, and... Which is tough. It's really tough. And, you know, for many of you, you do have some bills you have to pay. Like, if you have a car, your parents probably expect you to help pay for parts of it. And It's true. And I was making Hot Wheels payments for years. And you might also have to have... You might also have to help your parents pay regular bills, but you have no agency in deciding. Like, you, you don't have the authority to tell your dad to turn off the goddamn lights when he leaves the room. I, I see being a kid is hard when you're an adult. You can spend as much money on candy as you want, as long as you can still cover your bills. And no one will say anything. So let's talk about our socials. Where can we, where can they find us on social media? So we are on the test pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have a website that is on the test We are officially hosted through Anchor, so you can find us on there. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher. We just got on iHeartRadio this week. Did I tell you that? Yeah, you did. We are on Google Podcasts. We are, I think, on at least 13 platforms now. Yeah. All of which you can find listed on our website. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Wherever your friends listen to podcasts, because obviously if you're listening right now, you already know where you can find us. Yeah. If you've got a friend who's like, I don't know where to find that, you can send them to our website and they can find us pretty much anywhere. If they're like, sure, still not on mine, just just shoot us a message and we'll help them figure it out. If you have a podcast platform that lets you rate, review, and subscribe, please do all of those things. It is immensely helpful, especially if you actually write that full review. Even if your review is just, it's really good, I have fun listening, that's a big help. If your review is, my goodness, they have the most intriguing voices, and the number of ums they say is actually endearing and not annoying, we appreciate that too. If you've got nothing good to say, you don't have to say anything. You can nope. just stop listening. You can go. Yep. It's fine. It's. I mean, it's not helping anybody. But it's also not hurting anyone. I don't know. I'm like. No, no. I'm if they lost. put. If they get a bad review. If we get a bad review this early on, it does. Oh hurt. yeah, it does hurt us. Please, please don't. Please don't hurt us. Although there was, I saw this other podcast that um, they're relatively new. I think they're called like. Oh god, it has something to do with homosexuality and Mormonism. And they got a review that was one star and it just said doing the work of the adversary and they turned that into their merch. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. Don't yes. give them, don't give people bad reviews just so you don't agree with them. But if you get that bad review, turn those lemons and although why would you turn lemons into anything? Lemons are delicious. Turn those, oh. uh, turn those parsnips into cooked parsnips. Yeah. Which by the way, um, kids, if you don't like vegetables, um, tell your parents, hey, I hear that if instead of boiling these... If you uh, roast them with some garlic and olive oil, Makes they're delicious. Makes everything so good. Everything. Yeah. Basically, every vegetable, if roasted with garlic and olive oil, is delicious. It's like when Austin and I got together, Austin really didn't like vegetables. like Because they boiled all of them or steamed them. And it was disgusting. But now, like, I made him try asparagus and Brussels sprouts, and we have them regularly now. Yeah. Seeing so, you know, we, we need to go eat our Brussels sprouts before they go to bed. We need to eat our Brussels sprouts. And our... worth of Valentine's candy. So on that That note, note, class class dismissed. dismissed. Okay, lift. Lift and stop.